So here we are, latest episode of the Positive Populist Podcast. I have to be careful how I say that. The three Ps? Exactly, the three Ps. My <laughs> guest today, Linda McMahon. I'm very excited about that. And as I ask all of my guests, the first question, Linda McMahon, are you a positive populist? Absolutely. I'm very positive, I think. I have a very positive out view uh, on life I always have, and I'm always upbeat, and I think I'm uh, a glass half-full person all uh -huh. the time. And what but is I the, am a realist. But what does the populist bit of it mean to you? What, that's the word that we hear a lot, you know, associated particularly with President Trump since the 2016 election and, 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 a, and perhaps a move away from some of the Republican establishment thinking. He's just different. Um, and you've been part of that. You've been in his administration with the campaign. What, just tell us a little bit about what that means to you. It means different things to different people. I'm curious. Well, how it you does. And, you know, and populist, populism, uh, all the different variations that you can look at. It's not being the most popular, right. but it clearly is, I think, appealing to a particular base, uh -huh. uh, which is really more about the people, being of the people and part of the people. And I think that President Trump has reached in. He, you know, he makes no apologies for the fact that he's a successful businessman, yeah. that he is rich by many, many standards. But I do believe that he has connected across the board with yeah. the upper, middle, and lower income uh, population across the country. And I think that's really a, a really good view of being a populist president. Well, I think this is where there's a real connection between between you and him, actually, if, if I may say so, in terms of your background. Because if you think about how he made his money and did well in business, it was in construction, which is, you know, he's, he spent his time on construction sites with mm -hmm. blue-collar workers and, and, you know, got to know that world, just as you did. I mean, the business that you were in, that you uh, started and grew and, and was so successful with – that brought you into contact with real people. You weren't a kind of financial wheeler dealer on Wall Street. That's not how you made your money. No. So tell and, us a and, bit about that and how and you got not, into all of that. And it's not how I grew up either. I grew up in a very comfortable middle-class family mm -hmm. in a small town in New Bern, North Carolina. I'm an only child. Mm -hmm. um, both my parents had a great work ethic. They were both civil service employees for the government Interesting. Uh, uh -huh. at a military air base uh, near my hometown of New Bern, North Carolina. And so the values that I grew up with mm – -hmm. Uh, were were about hard work, uh, about being proud of what you did, and and measuring success with how it made you feel, yeah. and not necessarily by dollar signs, uh, and and so I think I was grounded, you know, in that kind of a philosophy. And so my husband and I both had similar kind of backgrounds growing up. Yeah, both had a hard work ethic. So when we actually started our business, it really was, you know, from from bare bones. And we built it and we grew it. And I think we've, we've had an opportunity to, to live the American dream. And I'm so grateful for that. And I want yeah. so many more people in our country to continue to have that opportunity. And uh, so that's one of the reasons that I have backed President Trump mm -hmm. and why I'm going to do everything I can to help him get reelected. So what was the first step? I'm really I, in, in terms of that business career. Take us right back to the beginning. Well, actually, my husband's. Um, father and grandfather mm -hmm. had been in the business of professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. And it was something that uh, Vince 
my husband, uh, loved from the time he was a little boy. He never yeah. wanted to do anything but that. He wanted uh, to actually do the wrestling or be in the business of To be in the business right. of doing okay, the wrestling. Just to be clear. Yeah, right. to be in the business of doing the wrestling right. because neither his father or his grandfather had been uh, in the ring participants. Right. And so really it was it was kind of his dream to do that. Yeah. Uh, and when he had the opportunity then to work in his father's company, when it was, it was just a Northeastern regional company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when he had the opportunity to work in his father's company, then he saw ways, you know, for it to grow. Now, there are always, you know, good um, partnerships and relationships. And so what Vince and I did, we complemented each other's skills. I was right. more attentive to detail. Uh, he was more creative and aggressive. And you start, well, if, if I'm right, you, you kind of – you started a li- little bit. Well, he made perhaps he did in in his father's company. But then you made a sort of fresh start, didn't you? Well, together? we did because yeah. we, we bought his That's father's right, company. Then. Right. Uh, but, you know, Vince was on the road. He was doing things. He was an on-air television personality. He kind right. of learned the business behind and in front of the camera. And my role was always supportive. But there had to be some sort of strategic view and outlook about how you manage the business of the business. Yeah. Uh, and as the business continued to grow, then more of the administrative functions, the finance, human resources, that kind of growth pattern. Yeah. Really, I was responsible for. And um, he was really the visionary of how to uh, to take the company across the country and turn what was a regional business yeah. into um, a national and then a global business. So we both had our roles. We worked uh, incredibly well, you know, together in doing that. And, and we're just very successful in building a company from taking a successful small business yes. that was uh, his father's company, but then making it then a national and an international business and then taking it public in 1999. So we've so gone on the start? world stage. When did you, how long was that journey? When did you start? I think Vince started with his father's company uh, in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1982, we bought his father's company, which was called Capital Wrestling Corporation, uh-huh. and with mirrors because we <laughs> took over the operation of the company. Yeah. And we had four quarters to make payments to my father-in-law and his partners. If we missed any payment, they kept the money and the business reverted to them. So we had four quarters. So that was a real leveraged (laughs) buyout for sure. So we were able to do it um, with a little smoke and mirrors sometimes. So the business uh, that it was like putting on events. Yes. Basically putting on selling tickets. That was it. That was primarily it. You sold tickets, you put on events. uh, And actually in order to be on the air in those days, we had to buy the time. So it was almost like an infomercial. Wow. And then because then the the station sold Uh all of the commercial time within the show, we didn't even get the commercial time at first to be on. And then we clawed back a couple of minutes, then five minutes. And then finally, we own the time to sell within the show. And now we're paid. Well, we, WWE is paid handsome licenses now to be on the air. Would watch it. It was, it was popular. Absolutely. It is still, you know, one of the, one of the basic, um, uh, entertainment properties that just is so grassroots in our country. As a matter yeah. of fact, the, the, the Monday night program raw for WWE. Now I haven't been there in 10 years, right. but, uh, still I get a little pillow talk, <laughs> but it is a public company. So the information is readily available, right. but the, the Monday night program raw is the longest running, um, weekly episodic drama in the history of television, longer than Lassie or Gunsmoke or any of those other wow. icons. It, it's Monday Amazing. night raw. Followed by what has been the Tuesday night show, SmackDown, yeah. uh, which will now move to Fox uh, in the fall. 
That's amazing. So one of the things I read was that in the early days, when, and you mentioned about you know doing everything and just basically literally getting the show on the road, keeping the show on the road. <laughs> um, I read something about like even sort of cooking the or preparing the food that people would eat or something. Like, oh, that's just that a funny thing? story. Right. Uh, one of the things that Vince and I did before we actually bought Capital uh-huh. Wrestling Corporation was we uh, were uh, – we had bought a facility on Cape Cod called mm-hmm. the Cape Cod Coliseum, and so they hosted different events. That's really how I learned the arena business was mm-hmm. in this really small coliseum. And so we were bringing the Boston Bruins uh-huh. to the Cape Cod Coliseum, which had a nice, which basically was an ice rink. So we wanted to make sure we could sell out because we had to pay a pretty huge guarantee to get them there. Yeah. So we wanted to put VIP tickets on sale and say, okay, what are we going to offer VIP folks? Well, they could come backstage before the game uh-huh. or at halftime or after the game and meet with the players and do that sort of thing. So we wanted to offer them food. So we couldn't spend a lot of money on this. And so one of the things that Vince and I did was we made meatballs. I can say we. <laughs> it was my mom's recipe. Right. But they're cocktail-sized meatballs so that you can just eat them with um, you know, with a toothpick. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that means you have to roll them very small. So for like three nights, I was we say- made hundreds <laughs> of these meatballs and made this barbecue sauce for them to go in. So by the third night – uh, and and Vince is standing with me in the kitchen, and um, he's now had he he believes he can roll the meatballs better if they're accompanied by a little drink of scotch right. along the way. <laughs> and I looked over, and pretty soon the meatballs were like double and tripling in size. <laughs> I said, "No, no, no, Vince, they have to be small. They have to fit in normal people's mouths." <laughs> That's so great. So that was really great. And someone else had made you know sandwiches. There was yeah. a local deli that had donated to bring in sandwiches. Every it was a community effort to really make that part of it successful. Yeah. And it was a huge success. But it's, I love that story because it, 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 it's 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 there's a real truth about business in that story. Yes, you there know, having is. Started and run on myself. You know, you just end up doing these weird things because you just got to improvise and you got to oh, make you it do. work. Hey, and I yeah. uh, and and in this small facility, it was called the Coliseum, but it was yeah. a small facility, uh, which seat about fifty two hundred people, and. Um, you know, we were having the John Denver concert come in one time. Uh-huh. We we owned and managed the facility. So right. we were having the John Denver concert come in, come in one time. And, of course, performers always have riders on their contracts as to what has to be in their dressing room and this, that, yes. and the other. So I was – you know, before I put on my business suit to greet them coming in, I actually had a mop and and broom and was helping to clean <laughs> dressing rooms and restrooms That's and the right. whole thing. And Vince was actually uh, on um, uh, a, a front loader machine putting the homo soap down to cover the ice. So it was really a, a family business to get everything up and running. It's, it was also um, wrestling. You know, it, it's seen as a pretty male business. How did that feel for you, getting being right at the heart of that? Well, in the old days, mm-hmm. uh, when I first got started, you know, women weren't even allowed to come backstage. So, uh-huh. And I actually used the name Linda Kelly. I didn't even use my last name because uh-huh. there was such a pejorative impact of having your wife actually work with you, you know, in the business. So um, – we broke through. We broke through those barriers. I was eventually the CEO of WWE. Vince was the chairman. And yeah, and I've read that actually even before that you were, you know, that internally they thought that you were known as the co-CEO. Even uh, there was there was a time you right. know for that, but the co was not with Vince. It was with another man. Vince uh-huh. was always the chairman. Right. Um. So um. That, that was a brief while, and then right. we realized that we needed to go back down a, a different path. Right. On that. So, but it was an incredible experience building a business that really was 
male dominated, mm-hmm. more of a male audience, and then growing the female base, uh-huh. more and more female participants. And then today yeah. uh, at WWE, uh, just recently in the pay-per-view for the first time ever, you know, it was the women who uh, headlined and were the main event for WrestleMania. So uh, it, oh, the, wow. the whole business has come just so far. And now there, you know, there are a couple of programs that are offshoots um, of of the the main programming that do you know star women. And what do you think now? You know, with that the experience, divas, which, which, right. the divas, which I hear, you know, so many people say, "No, I'm," and the Bellas, uh-huh. and they follow the Bella Twins, and so it's uh, it's amazing. We actually even got away from the word divas because that sort of had a not not a great right. connotation about it. So that they're just women superstars and champions like the men. So what do you think of? Um, you know, you, you're you're on the right politically. We'll get to politics in a minute, but you know, you've really been a pioneer in business, um, and you've got so much, um, you know, like argument coming from the left about gender equality and equal pay and and women's rights. You know, that whole kind of movement. You, you've actually lived it as as a very successful woman in business. What do you make of all that? Having spent decades actually proving that you can be just as good and better than any man. I don't think I ever felt that I had to prove that. Right. I always felt that I was right. equal to or as good as or better than many men that I saw in the business world uh-huh. you know, trying to make their way. And when I was often asked at WWE, well, do you have, you know, do you make sure that you're hiring X number of women versus X number of men or to kind mm-hmm. of keep it, kind of keep it compatible? Mm-hmm. I said, I have always looked for the best talent I could find. Right. Uh, I've hired the best person for the job, never discriminated in the interviewing process or in the hiring process, looked to find the best talent. Uh-huh. And when you looked at WWE when I was there as the CEO and, and many still continue today, I mean, the, uh, the, the co-president, at WWE is female. Stephanie McMahon, who is our daughter, is the chief brand officer. Right. So many in the production staff all across the country and in major positions yeah. uh, are, are, are women because they're the best ones for the job, for that particular job with yes. their talent and skill. I've often noticed also when you, you know, so much of the noise around this is on the left. You know, looking in when you when you think about politics, and they were sort of going on about you know women president and Hillary, and we need to have women candidates. You know, when you when you look at politics, I mean, so many of the women leaders who've done well have actually been on the right. If you look at Margaret Thatcher, we've <laughs> had two women prime ministers in the UK. Right, both of them have been conservatives. Um, Angela Merkel in Germany, conservative. It's quite interesting that they make the loudest noise often on the left, but in terms of actually making it happen, mm-hmm. it's been... Well, I, I do think that women do still have far to go in our mm-hmm. country um, because still in the boardroom, women aren't represented with the same kind of percentages as men mm-hmm. are. and Their salaries aren't often uh, as high as the, as the men's. And mm-hmm. so that we need to make sure that that's... Mm-hmm. That that's put on par, but I think the smart companies, the smart corporations, yeah. are the ones who absolutely do look at women. Look, we're fifty-one percent of the workforce, right? So if you're not taking advantage of all that talent that's out there, you're really missing out. So let's think about your you, you, your move into politics. Do you see it as a move? Have had you always been? I mean, you've run for office. I want to ask you about that, but just in terms of your sense of yourself as someone involved in politics did that grow over time did you always feel political i always felt political from the sense that i always was well informed i believe mm-hmm. uh, about who was running uh, who the candidates were 
of what the positions were, and I always was informed. And when I when I voted, I wanted to make sure that I had an informed vote. Right. But I was not involved in local politics. Uh-huh. I wasn't involved in the local, um, you know, political organizations because Vince and I really were incredibly busy yeah. building and growing a business. Yeah, and and that's where we focused our time and our energy. So I actually entered the world of politics more when I was stepping down from WWE right. and I had a path that I wanted to go. And that was, I decided to, I didn't start small. Right. I started uh, running for the United States Senate in Connecticut. Right. Uh, which is a very heavily. We, is that, was that your home at the time? Yes. Was that and, the reason? Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and still my home. I right. live in Washington during the week, but I go home to Connecticut on okay. the weekends. Uh, and so Connecticut is, is a very, very democratic state. Yes. And, uh, and so I ran as a Republican. And, and did, you know, pretty well for a Republican in Connecticut. That? that was in 2000, for the 2010 race. Then I ran again in 2012. Right. Uh, so what was we the- had two, two senators who stepped down and didn't so seek re-election. 2010, was that Joe Lieberman? Was that- no, that was the second. That was uh-huh. the second. Uh, in 2010 was when uh, Chris Dodd stepped down. Mm-hmm. And then Richard Blumenthal, right. who uh, was the attorney general. So you uh, ran, ran against, against him. Yes, a 20-year incumbent attorney general. So, uh, wh- I mean, wh- when you said, I'm going to go for this in this heavily blue state, what di- I mean, did you think you could win or did you think, no, we need to put up a good fight and I'm okay and I don't expect to? What was your kind of mindset around that? I actually thought I had a fair chance of winning and I really was very much ahead in the polls, you know, uh-huh. with Chris Dodd for a long time. And it, uh, he was really the, the reason that I thought there was an opportunity because he was not, he'd fallen out of favor for a lot of reasons mm-hmm. in the state. And then there was a lot more emphasis at that time on having more business people get in into the race and mm-hmm. not so much, right. uh, you know, uh, career politicians. And so I thought it was a good time to enter uh-huh. and to be part of sort of that, no pun intended on your show, but revolution, if you yes, will. Yes. Oh, the um, Tea Party time, wasn't it? And exactly. uh, yeah, a, a little a little before that for, right. for my first race. So right. I thought it was a good time. And so I think what we really did was raise uh, the level of Republican awareness uh, mm-hmm. in the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, following my two unsuccessful runs for the Senate, what really did happen, though, was we actually did um, elect more members to the House and tied in the Senate for representation, uh-huh. which hadn't been done in a long, long time. So I think we made a good impact on the state. And then I had an opportunity to uh, to come to Washington with President Trump. So maybe that was uh, <laughs> that was the precursor and set the stage. And I think having run for office really suits me very well now for the job mm-hmm. uh, that I have. Uh, at America First is is a super PAC because I do understand the mechanics and everything that goes into yeah. uh, a campaign. And what was it like to sort of step in? I mean, did you feel that you were you already had a bit of scrutiny through your business? You know, it was a high profile business, um, but but the extra scrutiny from a, a political race. How did that feel? Uh, nothing. Like I'd ever been through before. And oh, we had been heavily scrutinized, yeah. you know, in terms of, of our business, you know, throughout the years. And especially when we went public and once mm-hmm. you go public, you know, you're, you're, you're in the, uh, you're in the eye of the media at all times, but yeah. nothing like I had ever experienced when I ran for office. Because, uh, even though truths have been stretched and that sort of thing, when you've gotten news coverage, you know, prior, I'd never had absolute lies, just lies made up and pushed wow. forward as the truth. And, uh, uh, and all of that, you know, that went on, you know, behind the scenes was, uh, just sort of incredible. And I was at a, um, 
I was uh, with an editorial review board with one of the newspapers in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and um, I was asked, um, and there were at least 12 people you know, in the room, and I was asked, what is the most difficult thing uh, in running? And I said, the most difficult thing is that while I'm sitting here talking to you today, yeah. something could be happening somewhere in the world. I can walk out of this door. I can be confronted by one of your reporters and ask for my opinion on it. Yes. If I don't have an opinion, I'm stupid. Yeah. If I haven't heard about it, I'm ill-informed. If I'm if I make a statement and then as I learn more about it, want to change or enhance what I've said, now I'm a flip flopper. I said so it's incredibly difficult to run and to have a ready answer at all times with the twenty four hour news cycle. That's a really smart thing you just said. Mm-hmm. You've really put your finger on one of the problems. Mm-hmm. It, it's and tough. That is a that is a those really three tough things, screening. the way you laid that out, I, that was very a very concise critique of a lot that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but you obviously didn't, I mean, it, was, it wasn't that bad that it put you off running a second time. No, I thought that I had learned an awful lot. Uh-huh. Um, Joe Lieberman was stepping down, someone for whom I have a great respect. Um, it was a longtime senator from the state of Connecticut. Yeah. I sought his advice when I was running. Um, and um, I just wanted to, to give it another go. I said, okay, yeah. that was my first time. Yeah. Uh, I had a lot to learn. I did learn a lot. I knew a lot more about how to reach out you know, to the public. And so we, we changed a little bit, you know, the style. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really got to know everybody, so many people in the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't enough. Uh, it clearly wasn't enough to win in Connecticut uh, right. as a Republican. It just yeah, clearly wasn't. That's just tough. And what um, and is that it for you in terms of your your own uh, running for office? Well, place? I think the the real impetus for me for running for the Senate was to give back. I really mm-hmm. did want to do public service, and right. I was I was uh, I was actually captivated a bit by by politics. Right. Um, and I, I so I wanted to know and to learn a little bit more about it, and I actually thought I could be effective. Mm-hmm. So. I wasn't uh, fortunate in being elected in mm-hmm. my state um, uh, as a senator, but what an opportunity then I have had right. in public service now serving in the cabinet of President Trump. And it's one of the greatest honors I've had, something I will cherish you know, forever. Uh-huh. And uh, it gave me a real insight and an appreciation into you know, that overall government perspective. And I think the cabinet – that uh, President Trump has assembled really bright uh, people who dedic- who are very dedicated uh, mm-hmm. to what they are doing, and it, it was a pleasure and an honor to serve with each and every one of them. And so, when how did you get connected with with, with Donald Trump before he became president? What, do you remember the first time you met him? The first time I met him was uh, in what is now I think MetLife Stadium, mm-hmm. uh, and my husband and I were his guests for a Rolling Stones concert. Oh wow! So we were up in the bleachers. We, you know, we were we were sitting high, and uh, we were thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the show. They're, by uh, the my, way, they're amazing. I mean, I saw oh, them in they're England. They're incredible. They're incredible. Twenty thirteen. Mick Jagger. Isn't it incredible? Do you know what I found it to be one of the most inspiring things I ever went to? Because I just thought, if you love what you do, you just keep doing oh. it, and it's just great. Well, that's exactly where, like today, where my husband is still with WWE, where oh. I was until yeah. you know I decided to step down. It's uh, you, you go to you go to work every day saying I don't really have a job. Right. I just go do what I like to do all the time. And if you're an entrepreneur, as you well know, yeah. 
it is 24-7. Yes. You don't just hang it, you know, on the doorknob as mm-hmm. you're going out and say, okay, I'll pick that up tomorrow morning. It goes home with you. Problems and issues happen, especially once you're a global company. And yeah. then just by sheer virtue of the time change all over the world, there are issues and things happening that you have to address. Right. So let's go back to that concert. So you, you're, he's, you're his guest. So I met Donald Trump's yeah, right. guest. So what happened next? So we just sat, we chatted for a little bit. He yeah. knew my husband. And, uh, yeah. so, uh, they actually were friends first. And so he said, Hey, I'm going to concert. You know, please come and join us. And after yeah. that, um, President Trump owned a couple of properties mm-hmm. that WWE then promoted its events and one was Atlantic City. Right. So some years passed, they would meet, they would be cordial. We were not social family friends, but we mm-hmm. were business associates. And uh, and so then he participated in some of the WWE events, winding up actually being in a pay-per-view called the Battle of the Billionaires. Right. And just had great fun with what yeah. he was doing. He promoted it on his shows. Vince appeared on um, on um, The Apprentice. Yeah. Once as a as a not as as a celebrity judge, but right. uh, but working uh, you know with uh, then just Donald. Uh-huh. Um, you know, on the show. So the, the business relationship continued to grow. We yeah. trusted each other, promoted. He supported me in my, uh, senatorial runs. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, so it was, it was a good relationship. And so we had great respect for each other. And then did you get involved in the, in his, in his campaign? Well, when I get, I mean, I know you did, but when did you sort of think, okay, I'm going to kind of really go for it with this? Pretty much it was, uh, it was at the convention once he was the Uh nominee. Right. And, uh, then it was, you know, really putting, um, you know, we, we made a substantial contribution to, Uh to, well, uh, I did to his, to his campaign and, um, and we were very serious about it with, with no strings. Yeah. There wasn't a quid pro quo. Okay. And we're going to donate all this money. And then, you know, I'm going to talk to you about a cabinet position. It was nothing. Right. Nothing like that. We just really, really, uh, I, I really wanted to see him get reelected, yeah. uh, to get elected. Yes. Uh, because I really thought that the country was looking for that disruptor. Yes. Uh, it, yeah. it was a time in our country we were screaming out for change. And uh, I knew uh, how successful he was as a businessman. I knew his work ethic. I knew how he treated his people around him. Mm-hmm. And so I knew he was That's a, good, a side of him that you just don't no, hear you don't. enough he's about. He's such a good and decent man. Uh, and he's a, a, a wonderful father. Mm-hmm. And if you look at his children, you know, and of course it takes two most yeah. of the time, you know, in, uh, in, yeah. in a family to rear good children. But his, uh, but I think his children are a reflection of, of, um, of how he how they were reared and the kind of I agree with that. principles I, I, that I they had that and the principles very, that he had you know from his father. I thought that was a really big part of the appeal, frankly, mm-hmm. in 2016, where you could just see that. Yeah, and if you sit yeah. and you talk uh, with the president, I mean, I wish everyone would have the opportunity just to see him in an informal way because he is he's charming, he's gracious, he's funny, he's got uh-huh. a great sense of humor, uh, and. Um, and and he's very giving. Uh, he you know he he's he's he helps people you know that are around him. He'll do little things. He'll find people's jobs. He'll hear someone is fired. And he'll help support them for a while. I've heard those stories you know from others who have worked wow. for him. Yeah, you really don't. You don't. <laughs> That's you don't hear you. that side of who the president is. So when he um, asked you to join, the, I mean, what was that conversation like? Did he have a specific role in mind? Was it more general? To join the, the cabinet, yeah, after the cabinet. Uh, it it was more general. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, different positions. Then he asked me to come in and meet with him yeah. uh, in the tower. And he said, I have a position I really want to talk to you about that I think is perfect uh, for your for your background and what you can bring. And he said, and I would really like to make you the head of the SBA, the administrator right. of the SBA. And he said, and uh, he said, and it will be a cabinet position because uh, it is it is a cabinet position under President Trump. Mm-hmm. It was under President Obama. It was not under President Bush, and it was under President Clinton. Interesting. So, you know, there's some cabinet positions that the president can make uh, uh, a cabinet position. So uh, he wanted me to to make sure that I understood how he valued small businesses and valued the agency. Yeah. And I uh, really wanted someone who'd actually built a business. That's right. Well, that's and, the difference, uh, isn't it? I mean, and and you can just tell that from the way you've had this kind of – really positive response from in, in, in the market from businesses to an administration that just clearly believes in the private sector and in enterprise and wants to see it succeed. And I think that um, one of the things that I had as my mission as administrator of the SBA was to make it not the best kept secret in the country. Right. Because it does so many things. Uh, it It provides access to capital to those people who can't get credit anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So – a lot of small businesses would not be able to start were they not able to get this kind of seed capital from the SBA. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of companies that you wouldn't think about. Apple, for instance, had a small SBDC involvement under wow. the SBA when it got started. Um, Chobani, yogurt. Wow. Um, I could list many other companies who got got but a start. Still, that's so interesting. You know, not only with SBA capital, but then the mentoring aspect of the other programs that SBA has, the SCORE programs where executives actually volunteer their time uh-huh. and go to offices. And there's no charge uh, to those young entrepreneurs who want to come help develop business plans, et cetera. There's women's outreach, veterans outreach. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just an incredible agency that does It must be real support. fun. It was. Being there. It was fun. It was challenging. Yeah. Uh, because to to do that much traveling in twenty months and to go to all fifty states was wow. uh, was challenging, but it was it was a goal that I set. No other administrator had done it. Right. It was a goal that I set because I thought I deal with these people all mm-hmm. day and they hear from me, but they don't get to see me. I right. don't get to see them and hear what their issues are and how can I be helpful to them okay. in the field. And now, finally, your. Um Looking forward to 2020 and the president's re-election. Yes. What, what's your role there? My role now is I am the chair of America First um, Super PAC mm-hmm. and America First Policies, mm-hmm. the, the two different. Uh, one is a, a C4, a 501C4, mm-hmm. uh, which deals with policies and uh, and more of the programs that are being put to, put you know, out for the public good and information. Mm-hmm. You can do polling. um and you can do voter registration. You can do those things as part right. of the 501c4. The super PAC side then really is to put money then towards the candidate. And this is a PAC uh, that is actually the official PAC, which o- its only goal is to elect the president. Right. The money isn't going anywhere else except to elect the president of the United States. Important message there. That's the one people want to give money yes. to if they really, <laughs> if they really want the Because, you yeah. know, there are a lot of PACs that come out and they are not legitimate. Right. But this one, America First, this is the super PAC that uh, the administration recognizes and has been approved to for us to acknowledge that we are the official super PAC. 
Well, Linda McMahon, I think everyone's wishing you very well in that effort. Um, And we're excited to keep in touch as the campaign goes on. Thank Thank you you. so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, Tim. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.